All right. Am I on, Ron? Invite you to come and get comfortable. Ha! <laughs> Thanks, Al. Someone was paying attention. There you see on our screen, uncomfortable. Come get uncomfortable. That's the uh, title of our new uh, series this fall. The, I don't know if you can read those little words. It's the awkward and essential challenge of Christian community. And so we're going to spend time looking at us in particular as the church. I'm going to start us off with two basic uh, um, Understanding so that we're all on the same page, set the groundwork. One, we are the church, right? We get that. It's not this building. It's not the 64th Avenue building. It's not something out there. We are the church. Very basic, very simple. Number two, church belongs to God. And that's something that we have to as we bring our stuff into the mix, we always have to keep that at the forefront. That my desires, my wants, my needs are not necessarily the reason for the church. God has a purpose, he has a mission, he has a vision for his church and we'd be wise to heed the wisdom of Proverbs 19.21 which says, you can make your plans but God's purpose will prevail. Friends, basic stuff. The church is God's. We, the people, are the church. We're the agent of the kingdom. We're what he has determined that he will use to accomplish his purpose and his mission here on earth. And it should be never something that we reduce to what we want it to be. Or something that becomes something that just serves us. Rather, my individual needs, my individual wants, I have to uh, bring them into tension with your needs and wants because we are church, not just me, not just you. And then all of us together have to bring what we bring to the table underneath the authority of the one who is in the head of the church. And so if we're committed to these basic beliefs, we can say with certainty that our comfort levels are going to be challenged, even defied. And that's okay. It's just not comfortable. Which takes us back to our series title, Uncomfortable, the Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. So for the next five Sundays, we're going to delve into who are we as a church? What are some of the significant aspects that make up why we exist? How do we mature as a community? Why do we serve as a community? What do we believe around stability, especially in a time where we're on the move? What does that mean to us? And then last we're going to look at our need for diversity within the community. And depending on the focus of any given Sunday, you're probably going to find yourself sitting there feeling either affirmed and thinking, hey, I, this, yeah, I do this. We do this. Or you may find yourself challenged. And you're going to need to rethink how maybe you or how maybe we 
live in community. So let's start with a conversation about us, about Jericho. In our byline there, we use two descriptors, awkward and essential. How many of you here think that our community is essential? That's it. Good. Why do you think that? This is where I want to just come and roam and talk, but I'm, I feel like I'm stuck here. Ron said, don't go past the speakers. <laughs> why? Why is, why is church essential? Yell out some things. Why did you give up your 3.30 time slot on a, on a long weekend to come here? Jesus, that's always a good answer. So why is that important? Because it is our life. It's the most important thing we have. Okay. Okay. So what aspects of our life? Discipleship. Yeah. Encourage each other. Right. Worship together. Stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Yeah. Those are all things that are essential that make coming together as community and being called church essential. Now, how about awkward? Who here thinks church is awkward? <laughs> hey? Why? What's awkward? There's other people. <laughs> Al, if you would like, I will come at uh, 1.30 to your house and preach just to you, and then we'll... Sh- no. <laughs> okay? Yeah, there's, there's other people, for sure, and, and we're going to talk about that today. What else? What else makes it awkward? Think about... Um, compare what we do to, so- to some of the other groups that you belong to. This is... Okay, so some... Weird language, blood, flesh, dying, and that kind of stuff. Not only that, I think this is the only place where I sing out loud with other people. So that, depending on how good of a singer you are, that can feel awkward. What else? What else is awkward? Mm, okay, not very... Might you be an introvert? <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not private. You don't get to come. And we have, we have trained each other so well that if you come into our doors, somebody's going to come up and greet you and get to know you and find out who you are and why you're here and where do you live and will you come back again? And it's like, whoa, I just came because I heard there was good coffee and... I think when we talk about the words essential and awkward, as I was thinking about this and, and, and uh, brainstorming with staff during the week, the word that really came to me that I thought, you know, I think what we really need to, to focus in on, and because I get to preach, I get to pick what we're going to focus in on, um, is this sense, essential, awkward to me, the first thing that came to me was belonging. Belonging. You see, I believe that at the core of all humanity, at the core of all creation, there is this need and this want and this desire to be in relationships. 
to be uh, in, a, in, a, in a communal place where you belong. Before anything was created, we had God. Well, we didn't have him. He was there. We weren't there. But God was there. And God exists in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so it, it, it makes sense, I think we can reason, that everything that this God would create would somehow have, uh, bear his image, would have his markers, uh, some sort of DNA from him. And I think one of those uh, strains or, or markers is that everything he created and continues to create is in relationship. I was racking my brain trying to think of, is there anything? I'm not a physicist, so there might be something. And I couldn't come up with anything that I could think of that exists in isolation or in a vacuum. Everything that's created is created to exist in relationship to each other. Professor McFarland in the back there, I see the, I see the wheels spinning. <laughs> Let me know if you come up with something. Everything that God, and that makes sense because God himself exists in community. When God created Adam, Adam had animals around him. He, 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 could, he could communicate with God in the garden. And yet, even there, we see God saying, hey, you know what? Adam needs another human. And then he doesn't just clone Adam. He creates another human that Adam can, uh, can commune with, can, can dialogue with, can learn from. Someone who's not just like him, but someone who is very like him and can challenge him and cause him to grow and belong. And so what does Adam say? Hey, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Wow. And there's a sense of fulfillment that he gets with that belonging, that sense of belonging with Eve. And so from that point on, we see that, that, that thread, that narrative, all throughout humanity, everything, every generation has this need, this desire, this want to belong. And that's especially true and prevalent in our community, the Christian community, the church. We want to belong. We want other people to belong. And to varying degrees, we want, I want you to know me, and I want to know you. Depending on how much of an extrovert or introvert you are, the more we know someone, the more willing we're, the more we are willing to take the risk to let them know us more, right? That's how it works. Rarely do you just say, meet someone for the first time, shake their hand, and then vomit your life story out to them. You have this risk of giving and taking. A challenge comes in our relationships, though, when we begin to associate belonging with comfort. When we begin to equate those two things, and I think we often do that, I think we often think, if I belong, that will be extremely comfortable. I think 
that that is untrue. Let me explain. Let me get uncomfortable. Let me use myself. As I thought of how to unpack this notion, I realized that the thing that I find most awkward in any community that I belong to is me. Now, I'm generally okay with you guys and all your flaws and all your baggage and all your uniqueness that makes you you. I welcome that into the mix, but what causes me often to pause and stop and feel awkward is when I bring all of me into the mix. That's a tough one. And yet, in order for me to belong, not just look like I fit in, not just kind of be like you, in order to actually belong, the real me needs to be present and it needs to be, I need to be accepted. Erin Lane is a, is a millennial blogger and she puts it like this. The thing I am most desperate to keep you from finding out about me is I want to belong, but I don't know if I can. I want to belong, but I don't know if I can. In other words, she's wondering if some things can happen in the church community. One, can I first of all accept myself enough to present myself to you? And second, will you accept me and allow me to belong? If those two things can happen, then I can belong. But neither of those two things is necessarily comfortable. Neither of those two steps. And we all know the awkwardness. Even, even those of you who are extreme extroverts, you know the awkwardness of new relationship. Your acceptance of me comes at the cost of me letting you know who I really am. And only when that interaction takes place, only when that price is paid on uh, the relational ground that we're establishing between us, including the ugly and the bad and the not so good, only then do I get to belong and vice versa. If I just put myself out there and you accept me, but you never put yourself out there for me to accept, then we don't really have a sense of belonging together. As I thought of my Christian life since 1984, I think it was, it has largely been shaped by this awkward, essential thing called church, Christian community. And it's very rarely been comfortable for me. It has been good. I've loved it. I tend to devote myself to it. And I wouldn't change it. But I realized I could not use the word comfortable 
Christian community, I'm realizing, is a strange thing. The more I want from it, and the more I'm willing to give to it, the more uncomfortable I need to become. In fact, I would go so far as to say that there's a correlation between my discomfort and my fulfillment in terms of how much of me am I willing to put out there and how much am I willing to receive. Now, why is that? In John chapter 12, if you've got your Bibles or on your phones, turn there. We have this scene of Jesus talking to his disciples, saying, hey, this is what's coming. I'm going to die. And he's starting to unfold that. And then he gives us this, um, this analogy of the kernel of wheat. As we read it, I want you to notice the language of uncomfortableness in relationship to Jesus' fulfillment as he shares with his friends what's coming down the pike for him. Jesus said to them, Now the time has come for me, the Son of Man, to enter into his glory. I'm going to die. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants need to be where I am and the Father will honor that. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, take this, save me from this hour? But it's for this reason that I came. So I say, Father, bring glory to your name. The concept of the grain of wheat, the kernel of wheat being planted and it produced, we get that physical concept. It makes sense to us. We see it in nature all the time. You take a seed, you, you bury it in dirt, leave it there to die, and if the environment is right for it, it will sacrifice itself and it will produce more than itself. It will produce a bouquet of flowers. It will produce multiple pieces of fruit, or in this case, a stalk of wheat. It's when we apply this to life, to ourselves, to our church community, that the principle becomes extremely uncomfortable to actualize. What do we find Jesus doing in the midst of his community? These are his friends. These are his disciples. He's laying aside his sense of self. He's laying aside his sense of ego, any entitlement that he might have. And he's offering himself. Does it make him uncomfortable? Yeah. He says, this is hard for me. This causes my soul turmoil. Does he try to hide it from his disciples, from his friends? No. Does he try to isolate himself and go off and just say, I got to just deal with this myself? No, he doesn't do that. It's an amazing, amazing insight into the humanity of Jesus. 
and an incredible example of living in community we get from the one in the passage who says, now follow me. Follow me. This is so uncomfortable, John. This is, I don't know what to do with this, Peter. Follow me. You want us to do what? Jesus, this is causing you turmoil. You're upset. You are visibly upset. You want us to do what? Follow you? And then you want us to do it with each other? Like together? I like how uh, commentator Tasker puts it in in his commentary, the Tyndale commentary. He says, what's Jesus saying to us? If you want to belong as one of his disciples, you have to disown the domineering authority of your selfish ego. If you want to live the life of an integrated person in Jesus' community, you have to ruthlessly abandon your self-centered existence that lives conformed to the ways of the world. Friends, it's one thing to believe in Jesus and be saved. It's a whole other thing to follow him, to live it out. Belonging takes commitment, commitment to one another in Christ. And that relationship is a very unique relationship that we share. It doesn't require us all to be the same. It doesn't require us all to look like we are the same. In fact, it's going to celebrate our diversities, but... It does take commitment if we want to actualize the sense of belonging. And belonging is never comfortable, as Jesus shared in that passage. And it's not comfortable for us because we're constantly faced with the humanity of each other. We know when we come, we will never meet the perfect person. There will always be someone who rubs us the wrong way or a kid who's too loud or this. Or We are constantly faced with the humanity of ourselves. But Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I'll do this dying to self thing once. I'll do it for everybody and then you guys don't have to worry about it. You don't have to. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to do this as an example for you guys to follow and it's not going to be easy you will sense turmoil in your spirits. But if you want to be with me, then you need to follow me. And the Father's going to honor that. Don't miss that line. The Father will honor that. That kernel of wheat goes into the ground and it dies to itself. That's us. You dying to yourself will bring about new life. You giving your life in order to save it is how it works. You serving others in the community is what will make you great. In one of our previous churches, a newcomer to our group said something super profound to me in one of our very first meetings sitting in our living room. She said, you know what? I know that I will belong when one of you calls me for help. Serving is what makes you great, Jesus says. 
He didn't establish the Christian community for us to be comfortable. The purpose of the church is to be a place of belonging so that we will take the risk to grow in who we are and become more like the head of the church, Jesus. And so that in that process, other people will see it and be attracted to it. There's nowhere else in the world, friends, that people can witness what happens within Christian community. It is unique. The very nature by which we enter and the very nature by which we belong and grow does not exist anywhere else. It doesn't exist in any of your other clubs, in any of your other memberships. I say it all the time. There is no other community on earth like this one right here. And as essential as the world is for the world to see what's happening in our lives, it's equally uncomfortable for us to live those lives for them to see. Mandy Hale says, never cover up your flaws because you don't know who you're helping or inspiring by being you. So let me share some of my flaws. Wrap up with two stories. Shortly after Sylvia and I got married in 1999, we went through the emotional, the painful, the roller coaster ride of trying to have kids. And we're told very quickly, it's not gonna happen. And that time and that struggle in our life had the capacity to uh, derail us and consume us. At the very same time that we were experiencing that in our young relationship, we began to catch on, reading through between the lines, that two very, another couple, very good friends of ours, were also going through the same thing. And they chose to keep it extremely private, which was their choice, and I'm not, I'm not judging that in any way, but that was their choice. But what it did for Sylvia and I is we began to see and realize the incredible weight that they were carrying all by themselves. And we sensed God saying to us, don't do it. Lean into your church. Lean in. And so we did. We became vulnerable. We were lead pastor couple in a, in a congregation. Um, you know, we had just started, you want to make that good impression, and yet here we were coming and sharing with our congregation, getting vulnerable around our inadequacy to get pregnant. Like, welcome to our bedroom. It's awkward. It's hard. And I know it's not supposed to be, but sometimes it's even harder when you're the pastor to do it. But we did. What happened? On a personal level, God took me through a whole process of mourning, not being able to have children the way I thought I'd have children, and opened me up and brought us to an incredibly peaceful place about adoption that I didn't think I would end up at. 
on a communal level, the church as a whole responded incredibly well. And on an interpersonal level, relationships that we didn't have with certain people went deeper and deeper and deeper. And we found out we were not the only ones. We found out that there were others in our congregation who had even adopted that we didn't necessarily know. And then something amazing happened. A lady who was sort of on the fringe of the church, coming kind of, not really, husband didn't come, that kind of thing, began to hear our story and all of a sudden began to find hope for a parallel story of brokenness in her pregnant sister's life. And in ways that only God could do, on October 8th, 2004, Sylvia and I find ourselves waiting in the Abbotsford Hospital for this pregnant sister's birth to happen and for us to welcome Joel and adopt him. And we adopted him. We didn't know it at the time, but we adopted his whole, fa- his whole birth family. That's what open adoption is. 20 months later, we go through the whole thing in an amazing way again. Savannah shows up, and we adopt her and her birth family. And you got to remember that there's always brokenness in every... Ado- adoption is based on brokenness. It just is. No, no, no perfect setting gives a child up. Like, it, it, none of you have done that. None of you are perfect, right? Like, it, it, there's always a brokenness that this comes out of. And ours was part of that brokenness. And now we've extended our family. And remember, I'm an introvert. I, I have a hard time with my own family. Now I've got birth parents and their kids from other marriages and on both sides. Is it easy? No. Not even today. After all these years, we have wonderful relationships with all of them. But it's often uncomfortable. And it takes work. But is it fulfilling? Oh my goodness. We wouldn't give them up. Wow. See, she's not paying attention. That was a test. (laughs) Of course it's fulfilling beyond what I could have ever imagined. It continues to be. And to this day, we still have opportunities to talk and, and pastor and shepherd people who are going through that because they hear our story. And we get to enter into broken places because we offered up our brokenness. And a church surrounded us. And this is what we tell people. Like at that time, to have two local adoptions within 20 months was literally unheard of. We were strongly discouraged to even consider local adoption once, let alone twice, because it just didn't happen like that. And yet we say to people, we felt God calling us to follow him. We were surrounded with a community that accepted and allowed us to belong. 
And then God did the miracle. Well, that was being awkward in that church. One more story. How is it awkward with this church? I know you guys all think you're perfect. Problem is, I'm not perfect. And quite frankly, especially as an introvert, if you knew everything about me, that would probably make me there are things that I, they would be uncomfortable, right? Let's be honest. And yet God continually asks us to go to that place of being uncomfortable. And one of the places that he's asked me, and I've shared this before, is the whole area of mental health. In fact, when Brad and I first sat, for, first sat down for coffee in a Starbucks and this notion was floated of possibly coming back to Jericho Ridge. I remember saying to him very clearly, just so you know, I'm not the person I was when we were here at the beginning in whatever that was, 2005, 2006. Like there's a lot of water under the bridge and I'm different. And I deal with depression and anxiety. And I, I don't, I haven't been dealing with, I mean, I've been dealing with all my life, but I haven't been getting help for that long, so I'm not even sure exactly how ministry is going to look with that component in it. And uh, we prayed about it, and we just sensed God saying, yeah, follow me. I'm going to call you there. So we've been open from the get-go with you guys. It's part of my life. It's not easy. You can, Sylvia will be the first to attest to. My kids will be the first to attest to. It's not easy living with someone who deals with depression and anxiety. Back in January, uh, in the gym at the LEC, when we were doing our Fear Not series, I had my friend Michelle come and we shared together some of my journey. So if, if you haven't heard that, uh, go on our website, punch in the sermon page in the Fear Not series, and it's there. It's somewhere at the end of January, I think. And check it out. Two things happened after that uh, sharing time in January. One was unexpected, and one went beyond what even I thought it would go, where it would go. The first thing that happened for me after that January thing is I had a relapse. It, hit, it like totally out of the blue hit me hard in the following weeks to the point where I realized I got to call my therapist. I got to figure this out. I got to ask her for help. And I did that and we met and we talked and she, she's an amazing counselor and she helped and I learned and I grew um, and I'm on the other side of that. And it was good. I don't want to go through it again, but I probably will. That's one of the things I learned, is I probably will, and, and that's just part of the process. The other thing that happened for me is that by sharing my story more than any other topic that I've talked about or Brad's talked about in the two years that we've been back, people came and shared their story with me. And the vast majority who shared their story with me said, I've never told anybody else this. Well, except their spouse, right? And I deal with depression 
I deal with anxiety. I struggle with mental health. I've been dealing with it for 15 years. Nobody in church knows. And we've been able to begin to have conversations. <laughs> One of the people I have conversations with, because usually when we're emailing stuff, I'll just, you know, talk about mental health or whatever, and, and this person will always, uh, at the bottom, of, or somewhere in their email, very uh, humorously quip back, I'm not mental. And a reminder, no, you're not. But we're having the conversation. And in the midst of that conversation, I am saying to these people, share your story with the community. Ask for help. I'm doing it, and I think they have accepted me. I think I belong. That's what the sense I'm getting. So I think you can do it too. Now, nobody has taken me up publicly on this offer yet. Yet. And, uh, and I'm not giving up. And so this fall, we're going to announce, go ahead, Kev, I think, that we're going to start a group to support mental health. We're actually going to join a group that's already existing, but this will be the start of it for us in Jericho. Every second and fourth Tuesday of the month, we're going to get together. It's a drop-in kind of thing. And this is for anybody who lives with mental health issues, be that depression, anxiety, whatever, or anybody who lives with someone who lives with it. Because that's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother uh, ball of wax that needs support. It's called Living Well, and it's a community for building, for restoring hope in a safe and confidential environment. And notice I did not use the word comfortable. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable to think that I'm going to walk into that group for the first time on the 25th. And I'm asking some of you to join me. Friends, we need to assess our belief and we need to assess our communal practices as the church. It does not exist for my comfort. It does not exist for your comfort. Jesus asks us repeatedly to follow him, and in that he's saying, sacrifice your comfort for the sake of what he wants to do in you and for the sake of what he wants to do through you in the life of other people around you. So it doesn't matter if you're struggling with mental health, like me. It doesn't matter if you have a different chronic illness. It doesn't matter if you're struggling with alcohol or you're, you're struggling with some other character flaw that drives you crazy or whatever it might be. We need to conquer our desire for comfort and take the risk of belonging if we're going to be the church. If I don't know who you are, how do I let you belong? If you don't know who I am, how do I belong? You can be present, you can fit in, you can play the part, but I got news for you, it will not sustain you. I guarantee you 100% that you will find yourself going and looking for another church 
hoping that it might happen there miraculously without you doing anything. But in all likelihood, what I think will happen is you will simply just give up on Christian community altogether. That's the road that most people take. It's why the writer of Hebrews 10 implores us, brothers and sisters, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way. Let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we have, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let's think of ways to do what? Motivate each other to acts of love and good works. And friends, let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Instead, let's encourage each other to meet, especially now that that day of his return is drawing near. Jericho Ridge, I choose this. Not because it's comfortable. Not because it's easy. In fact, I already know I need your help to do it. I hope you guys join me. We're going to close our time in prayer and worship. I'm going to invite the prayer teams to head to the back. You know, some of you have never gone for prayer because it's uncomfortable and awkward. You're missing out on the fulfilling end of it. So today, I invite you to be uncomfortable. As the worship team comes up, some of you wrestle and struggle with singing out loud or expressing yourself freely in worship because it's awkward and uncomfortable. I invite you today, if that's you, be uncomfortable. Take the risk. Father, we thank you that you found it in your incredible plan to create this community of your people. We call it the church. We call it Jericho Ridge. And Father, sometimes we pause and wonder why on earth would you use someone like me? And yet, you look down upon us with joy and dancing and you cherish us and are so incredibly proud to welcome us into your mission on earth. And so we say, here we are. Our flaws, our sins, our warts, our unique quirky characteristics, and all the good stuff that we have. We bring it together at the foot of your cross and ask, Lord, that you'd weave us closer together as your people, as your church. Holy Spirit, come and pour out a spirit of holy risk within us as a people. And Father, we trust that the promise that you will honor that will come to fruition because of Jesus.